Well, my name is Adam Griffin. I'm the lead pastor here at Eastside Community Church. If you're first time or with us, so glad you're here. Look forward to meeting you someday soon, maybe today. Uh, today, we're starting a new series uh, called More Than a Story. We're gonna be walking through some of uh, the stories that even if you have never been in church before, you've probably heard some of these stories. And so as we walk through these through the next few weeks, I hope to help you see uh, the reason God has told us these stories, the truth of them, and what it has to do with you. So if you've got your Bible with you and you want to turn to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start at the very beginning today, Genesis chapter 3. And for just a few minutes here, I want to talk to you about Eve and the snake. Next week, we'll talk about Noah and the ark. This week, Eve and the snake. Genesis chapter 3 really helps us. I mean, it's one of the chapters most referred to and most referred to in the rest of the Bible, most referred to in our culture. It all boils down to this, Genesis chapter 3. In a perfect world, we get to see the story we are in now, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. Ready? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So much to unpack here. We have just a few minutes, so I'm just going to give you three very simple points. One, that God is a very generous God. Two, that God is a better God than me or you. And three, that God is so gracious. First, that God is a generous God. Sometimes we read about the story of Adam and Eve, or we think about sin, or we think about the injustices and the cruelty of this world, and we start to think that maybe God is cruel, or maybe God has deprived us, deprived us of what is good. But if you read Genesis 3, you remember God is a very generous God. In the scale of friendships and, and DTRs, when I was in uh, high school and college, DTR was a thing. It means define the relationship. Do they still say that, young people? They still say DTR? Yes? Okay. And a friendship DTR was very rare, but it was like establishing, so how good of friends are we? Until you get engaged, then it's like, am I groomsman level or am I not groomsman? Am I like, am I photo booth buddy or am I like guard the book buddy? Like then you have kind of friendship DTRs, but for the most part, you're just like, how good of friends are we? And I've said to you before, one of my delights in life was when a friend asked me to get them from the airport. And if you ask me to come pick you up at the airport, I feel like it's saying, I trust that we are good friends. I trust your driving. I trust your punctuality. 
I trust that you're willing to inconvenience yourself for me and still be friends. And so I love being asked to pick people up at the airport or take them. What a great friendship DTR. When I was younger, though, the true epitome of trust and friendship, and maybe you've lived this life. I've only done it a few times. But when you're young and somebody asks you to house sit for them or dog sit for them or dog sit and house sit for them, that is the true epitome of I trust you. When they invite you into their home and say, everything I have is yours to look over, including my golden doodle, including my little plants I have around, even the ones that just need to drop every six months, that's your responsibility. Like that is trust. And if they had like cable television and a swimming pool, you're like kind of trying to slow slow play how much you want to. You're just kind of like, yeah, I might be able to swing that. But you know, in the back of your mind, when somebody with a nice house asks you to house it, you are pumped. You might even get paid to be that person's friend for a little bit. That's incredible. And the story of the Garden of Eden is not dissimilar from somebody with an incredibly nice place saying, I want you to come into this place that is mine, and I want you to be in charge of it. I want you to take care of my animals. I want you to take care of the plants. And this is what's great about our generous God. He says, everything here Take anything you want. Anything I've got in the fridge is yours. Anything in the pantry is yours. And it's like walking into this house that your house sitting and walk into the pantry and see, man, they've got everything. They got all your favorite snacks. You open the freezer. It's like loaded with frozen pizzas and ice cream. And they open the fridge and it's like every beverage you could ever want. They've got Dr. Peppers. They've got God's greatest combination of air and water and imported mineral Topo Chico. It's in there. And there's just, it's a limitless stock of it in glass, not plastic. That's gross, but it's in there. You've got every drink you could want, but it's like the person who asked you to house it says just one thing. There's there's a liquor cabinet there, and I just, just don't touch any of that. Anything else in the house, you can drink everything you want. Eat anything you want. It's all for you. Enjoy the swimming pool. Enjoy the hot tub. Enjoy the, the movie room. Enjoy the playroom. Whatever you want. The place is yours. Just We ask, just don't touch the liquor cabinet. And that's like the Garden of Eden. But if, if we're looking at it backwards, we're like, How? Stingy is our God that they, when he would say, there's a tree in the garden you should not eat from. Why would he even put that there? And it's so easy for our cynical minds to jump to that, that you forget to remember how generous is our God. He put mankind in a perfect garden and said, whatever you want, you've got it. It's here. You want something to eat? Just grab it off a tree. You're not going to get hurt you're not even going to need clothes, man. Don't even worry about the closet. The wardrobes are empty. Just, just look around and whatever you want, it's yours. And the story of the gospel starts with a generous God. And the story of the gospel ends with a generous God. And even in the midst right now where God has redeemed all mankind and is making all things new and yet we haven't seen the culmination, God is even today still generous that everything you have, every breath that you take is a gift from that God, not promised to you, not earned by you, not merited by you, but a gift. All that you have is his. And while he has asked us to steward it well and take care of it, at the end of the day, it's not mine. My life is not mine. My child is not mine. When we dedicate our kids to the Lord, we're saying, God, this kid is yours first and foremost. And Lord, help me raise it to honor you. But at the end of the day, it's not mine. But how generous is our God?
And then he guards us. He, he tells us there's something in the house that's not for you. And the story of Genesis is really like saying, and then we had a friend over to the house who doesn't like the guy who owns it. And he's like, did, did God really say, or did the guy who owns the place really say you couldn't have anything out of the liquor cabinet? Did he say you couldn't have some of it? Maybe as an 18-year-old, you're in this house you're sitting for, and it's easy to be tempted and say, well, why not just try? There's a bottle of champagne in there. Let's just cork it open. Let's just celebrate that. Don't have to have all of it. Let's just have some of it. And you can see the rationalization. Yeah, everything here is mine. Why wouldn't I be able to have that? Why would somebody deny me something? Especially when I look at it, it's a delight to the eyes. It's something that seems good. But then if you know anything about champagne, once that cork is out, there's no way to put that thing back in there, right? I don't know if you've ever tried it. It's impossible. I don't know how they do it in the factory. I, think, I, don't, I really don't know. They might make it upside down. But champagne, once it's open, it's like, man, if you open something and you wanted to hide the fact that now it's been opened, there's just no way. You can wrap that thing in foil on top, or you get a wine stopper, you do whatever you want creatively, but it's open, it's out. And that's, again, the story of Genesis. Once they have done something they were not supposed to do, there was no undoing it. And the Lord did not warn them against it because he was not generous or kind. It's quite the opposite. The Lord warned them against eating of that tree because he loved them, because he wanted something good for them. But I want you to understand my second point today is that God is a better God than me. And the fact that Eve took the fruit and ate it and gave it to Adam and ate it, let's not make this story about rule breaking. That's not what this story is about. God is not a God looking down on you going, hey, there are rules that you need to follow. And if you break them, here's a punishment. If you keep them, I'm going to rescue you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not a story of rewarding good and then punishing wicked. The gospel is a story of seeking the wicked and saving them. Because if it was only a story about seeking the good people who follow the rules, none of us would be saved. But God is a better God than me. The story of Genesis is Eve not just being tempted by fruit, it's her being tempted by what the serpent says, you will be like God. It's a story not of rule breaking, it's a story of replacing the ruler with me. It's a betrayal story. Like, I don't know about you, and I don't, I don't like to talk about my high school relationships. I think it's disrespectful to the wife I am married to, and it's disrespectful to the women I dated in high school. But let's say hypothetically, I dated other people before my wife. And in high school, let's say hypothetically, I dated a girl that uh, cheated on me with one of my friends, hypothetically. I won't say her name. She lives far, far away, if she exists at all. In our relationship, there came a very difficult moment where it was like, are we going to stay together or not based on this betrayal? And we decided to stay together, but there were a couple boundaries we set. One of them is like, I don't, I don't care how good of friends you were with that guy before, I don't want you hanging out with him anymore. It was in essence saying, there are many people in this world and you can be friends with many of them, but if you continue to pursue relationship with this other guy, I'll consider that betrayal. It's not just a simple conversation. It wasn't just, I'm just talking to him. No, to have a conversation with him to me felt like betrayal. And that's the story of Genesis. It's not the story of like, all she did was eat a fruit. No, it's a story of saying, God gave you all this. And he said, don't do this. That's going to be destructive for you. And you said, I think I actually know better than you. Eve said, I would rather replace you with me. 
So the story of Genesis and the story of the gospel is that Eve, like all of us, has tried to replace God with herself. And that does not lead to human flourishing when you try to replace the king of the universe with you. You are not a good king. If you only follow what delights your eye, then you end up eating the fruit that's destructive. If you only follow what brings you pleasure and avoid what brings you pain, then you miss out on the story of the gospel because the story of the gospel is not to avoid as much suffering as possible, but rather to suffer for the sake of Christ if that's what it takes to follow him. And to deny myself things that the world calls pleasurable if that's what it takes to follow him. Because God is my king and I am not. I trust him more than I trust myself. God is a better God than me. And then lastly, God is gracious. Even in Genesis 3, he gives a a little hint at the gospel message that one is coming to undo everything that we've broken. That everything that's been ruined, every mistake I've made, every offense I've made towards God or even Adam instituted towards God or falling prey to temptation has been and will be undone in Christ. And today on a celebration Sunday at Eastside, we get the opportunity to celebrate with men and women in the symbol of baptism that many of us who have already been baptized in them today are buried with Christ in our baptism and then raised to new life in our baptism that we are not who we were. And while we may always struggle with sin in this world, there is nothing broken that the Lord is not mending. And our God is so gracious. Our God is so forgiving. And while he does not say Uh, He does not tolerate sin in the sense of saying, he does not say to us, hey, there's nothing to forgive. He does not say, hey, sin is not a big deal, but rather says, your sin is so serious and so destructive. That's why I warned you against it. And yet it is forgiven that we might spend eternity with him in a a paradise like they had at the beginning. A God who invite us into, like we sang in the song, a home, a house with a father good father who is willing to share all that he has with you, not because of how good you were, but because how much he desires to save. And that today we'd celebrate God's salvation. And in that, for those of you who don't know him, that today you might hear his invitation into your life, that he is real and not far from any one of us, that he is generous, he's a better God than you are, and he is gracious to forgive There is nothing in our past that can outpace the gospel's graciousness. Nothing. There is nothing the Lord cannot and has not forgiven. He is better than we give him credit for. And when we blame him for our sin, all we're doing is forgetting how much he's already done for you and that he's given you his son, Jesus Christ, that his life might pay the price and pave the way for you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, In your mercy, Lord, you have forgiven so much in my own heart, my own life. You have called me to be a faithful man, to follow you, and yet I know I fall short. And so, Lord, I thank you for your graciousness. You have promised us your kingdom has come and is coming, and in that, Lord, we see your generosity, both in the garden at the beginning and the new heaven and the new earth that is to come. And yet, Lord, now in the midst of today, as we suffer and as we are sad and as we celebrate and we're glad that, Lord, you are no less real, no less close. Lord, you are not cruel, but you are good. You have not forgotten us. You are near to the brokenhearted. And you've called us today to celebrate. And so, Lord, I pray that our church would. 
remember you and glorify your name. And I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.